It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the esports prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now. From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul, the prophet, Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, the Honorable Judge Jimmy Barada. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of eSports. What we do is we cover the most pressing game and eSports topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the five-star ratings and reviews, all the love you give the podcast. I promise we read all of them. It's all so humbling. Thank you so much if you've left a five-star rating and review somewhere on the podcast. If you haven't yet, go leave one or even better, share the podcast with a friend, a colleague, someone you know who's interested in the industry. We really appreciate it. Jimmy, how you doing this week? Having a great week, Paul. Happy to be back. Uh, how's it going, listeners? It's podcast day. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, Jimmy, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry if uh, I sound a little hoarse. I don't know what it is about Dubai at this time of year, but I there's literally a conference every week for like the next eight weeks. I'm sad you're not here. Like I don't have my conference wingman. I think we're a great duo at conferences because I talk a little bit on stage and then you do all the hard work afterwards. <laughs> That's why you miss having me. because <laughs> You don't have to work at the conferences when I'm there. Uh, I would love to be there too, Paul. But I, you know, I have TwitchCon this Friday. I'm super excited to go down to San Diego for that. We got Esports Business Summit that's coming out here uh, in Las Vegas in November. I'll be going to Atlanta for uh, Todd Harris's, uh, one of our former guests and obviously a legend in the industry. He's having a huge business summit in Atlanta right up to DreamHack. So, you know, I, I just that's how we're going to have to divide and conquer these things, I think, is you're, you're going to have to work at some of them sometimes. This is so much better when you are doing all the all the legwork and collecting business cards and talking to people and doing the networking and the relationship stuff. Uh, me having to do this now feels feels like I have to do a real job. I mean, it's just weird. Uh <laughs> well, I think what you need is a handler, because if anyone has seen Paul live at a conference, he's 
just like on the live show, just like on the podcast, no holds barred, I think is the expression. And uh, it's just a flood of people that come up to talk to him after the, the panel because they're so intrigued and, and find it so humorous that he didn't pull any punches on stage for any reason. You know, I, I so I was speaking today, we record on Wednesdays. I was speaking today at the World Metaverse Show in Dubai, and I had two panels on the intersection of gaming and metaverse, which is obviously a lot of the things we talk about on, you know, business of esports and general holodeck content. And I, I will say, <laughs> I had a moderator on one of the panels who cut me off, like cut me off like two times, which was, uh, is like, I, I couldn't even believe what was happening. I mean, I <laughs> was like in the middle of making a great point. But what was interesting is I'm amazed at the amount of non-gaming metaverse discussion. I'm almost like bothered by it. And this is, a, you know, a rabbit hole, but I was just, I just spent the whole day there. So I want to get it off my chest. It's like, who cares about going to pay your parking tickets in the metaverse, right? Like, does anyone really care to do that? Like, isn't the website just better for that? I don't know. I feel like in some cases we've got too far away from what really this should all be about, which should be about the fun and the gaming. And everyone knows fun is sort of my, my entire mantra, but it was, it was interesting to see, right? Like there's just so much discussion around it that's not gaming related. And I, I don't know if any of it's really going to come to bear, but a good reminder to go tune in. Make sure you listen to our, you know, Meta Business Podcast, Meta Woman Podcast, especially, and uh, follow like Metaverse TV on a whole bunch of our socials. There's more like Metaverse content there than you would find directly with Business of Esports. Now, a guy who may have an opinion on the Metaverse, may have an opinion on a lot of things, but someone I'm Super excited, super, super excited to have on the podcast is our guest this week, Daniel Marcus, who is the founding partner at Hustle Law and a professor of esports at NYU. Daniel, welcome to the Business of Esports podcast. Thanks, guys. Um, I have a question for you because I'm listening to start off. <laughs> oh, great. This is like, what is this? Like the day of people cutting me off and asking? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. I think this is good. I think this is good. So you mentioned you guys go to a lot of conferences. Like, what's the first question you always get asked at a conference or like any sort of networking event? What's the first question? There's only one right answer here, by the way. I mean, it depends. I mean, that's a bit tough question because is it a gaming conference or is it a met metaverse conference? Because these days, these are very different crowds, I find, at these two kinds of events. I don't think it matters. One question everyone gets asked first. What, what is it? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, what you is tell it? me. Jimmy, what is it? What is it? That, that's the question, right? What is it? What, what is the metaverse? Tell us. It's always without fail. What do you do? It's a very like cut to the chase kind of question. Whereas like I'm, a, I like small talk, right? Like let's let's evolve. You to want to be romance and seduced. You want to buy me some dinner first. So I've been <laughs> I've been trying to I've been trying yeah I've been trying to elevate my small talk. I've also been sourcing different quips or retorts for for that question. And the best one I heard recently. Julie, I forget her last name, but Julie does a lot of stuff with NFTs in the metaverse. She was like, when people ask me what do I do, I tell them I do my best, which I was like, I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start using it. But that kills the conversation. Just like it's hard to, it's hard to come back from that. I feel like, or maybe it, 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 it creates conversation. I don't know. I think, it, I think it creates conversation. It weeds out the people you want to talk to versus the ones that don't have a sense of humor. I mean, Daniel, you're gonna be disappointed here though, because the first question on this podcast is always some version of what do you do but i i, I, I want to get i want to get the origin story here the daniel marcus origin story right like what got you into gaming and esports give me a bit of the background how you got to here and what and some of the stuff you're focused on now i'm sorry we're gonna have to cut the space there's only uh you know there's no right, small see, I, I think you i think you i think you figured out a way to ask it in an artful way so i think that's that's important the narrative version i guess in a like the relatively succinct way to tell it is you know i went to i went to school for sports business period i didn't think it would be esports i was a uh, an undergrad at NYU sports business program where I now teach. When I was there, I did a bunch of different things. You know, the first thing I ever did professionally was write. So I covered my two favorite traditional sports teams, which were the New York Jets, which is unfortunate, and the New York Yankees, a little bit more fortunate 
for Sportsnet New York, which is the Mets television station. So I wrote for their digital side, ended up at 19, getting credentials, talking to Tim Tebow in the locker room. And it was the Tim Tebow Jets covering the later years, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter Yankees, also a credential media member. So that was great. Ended up becoming the sports director at the FM radio station at, at NYU, which is 89.1 WNYU and I was given my own half hour radio show so doing like audio radio podcasts this is giving me nostalgia right now because it's something I, I haven't done in a little bit but you know I, I had I had my own show and I ran the sports division at NYU which was all student run until I got fired in a coup d'etat which was a big just this dispute or culture clash between like the hipster college radio crowd and sports people which was myself and all my friends that I had assembled but I guess that was kind of a blessing because when I when I was a junior, I ended up starting my first company, uh, which was called Seat Swap, which was in the event ticketing space. Knew I wanted to do that for a while. Had the time to do it because I was like, well, I got fired from this job, so I might as well create my own one. Pulled together a team, didn't really know what I was doing. And as we were writing our first lines of code, I got a full scholarship offer to law school, including books and a trip to London. And I have a very pushy Jewish mother who's actually in the other room right now because it's a holiday. This is why I'm not on video. Who was like, the nice version was, you're an idiot, you should take it. And so I took her advice. She was right about that. You know, ended up bootstrapping that company through law school while you know, pursuing my JD full time. And when I was there, we did a lot of good things, picked up a lot of traction. You know, I got in front of Carnegie Hall, which for those that aren't familiar, obviously like one of the most famous venues in all of music and performing arts in New York to pitch them a set like a an enterprise product before I even had a semblance of a consumer product to talk about. And I was 21 and it was like, it was hilarious if you think about it. And so the classic joke is like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Another way to get to Carnegie Hall, a little bit of hustle and sending cold emails. So fast forward through this story, I ended up graduating law school in the summer of 2017. When I was supposed to be studying for the bar, we really started to pick up momentum. And I, I found out that my company was in the final round of an accelerator that was started by the Adidas family. So there's an accelerator called Lead, which you guys might be familiar with just from the esports and gaming space, stands for Legacy Body Dossler, who you know, Adidas, 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 or that's, there's a named after him. And so his lineals started a sports tech accelerator, incubator, and a fund. And they were like, we want you to come out to Berlin. And I said, great, as long as you pay for it. And so they ended up paying for it at the last minute. And I went and when I should have been studying for the bar. And so out of 450 companies, they cut the fields to 40 and I was in that top 40. And then it was like three days of startup speed dating, very German, 20 minutes, blow a whistle, talk to someone else, 20 minutes, someone else, blow a whistle. So they cut the field in, in half to 20, top 15 got in. Long story short, I was in the top 20. So I didn't end up getting into the or getting into the final round or part of that uh, initial cohort, but that's that's fine because I didn't want to move to Berlin anyway. Come back and I get a LinkedIn message from the CEO of what was then probably the third largest secondary ticketing company in the States who said, hey, listen, I, I, I read an op-ed that you wrote. I got permission from my board to roll up a couple companies in the space. Would you want to have that conversation? So just picture you're me right now. You're 25. You don't really want to be a lawyer. Like that was the, the the law degree was free. So I had no designs of being a lawyer. And the prospect of taking a company like you put a little money into, but a lot of blood, sweat and tears and being aqua hired and living in Marina Del Rey for a couple of years. Due respect to Southern California, Jimmy, not the biggest fan of of L.A., but it wasn't the worst outcome. Me either. <laughs> Did the whole song and dance with their C-suite, you know, demos, et cetera, only to find out that company was hemorrhaging cash and they went out of business three months later. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to figure something out. So um, ended up taking the bar, eventually passing, didn't want to be a lawyer. So I worked for a guy named Steve Gottlieb for my first job right out of law school. And he had created a Zoom competitor. I won't mention the name. But Steve, if you Google Steve, Steve is uh, famous for having started a record label called TBT Records, where he discovered Nine Inch Nails and Ja Rule and Lil John and the East Side Boys and Pitbull. None of them have a lot of good things to say about Steve. I like Steve. He's a little bit rough around the edges. He's not afraid to tell people what they feel. So if you guys want to pick up a cool docuseries and, or haven't seen it already, there's a docuseries called The Defiant Ones, which is about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. And there's in episode three, there's a whole like 10 minute vignette about Steve and Nine Inch Nails because Steve told Trent Reznor, who's the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails, you ruined what could have been a great career. Pretty Hate Machine, which is probably their most successful album ever. He called it an abortion. So we're worth picking up. That was my So that was my boss for 18 months because he was starting a Zoom competitor and he wanted me to come in and build the sports division. So I did that. And while I was there, I, I was sort of getting my feet 
wet with producing media in sports specifically. And I ended up getting close with Pete Rose. For those that are unfamiliar with this audience, Pete Rose is very famous in baseball, not only for having the most hits in the history of the game, but for being banned for life for gambling on the game. And so I am the guy to credit or to blame for having developed and sold Pete Rose's gambling podcast, which you can now listen to, but I, I take no credit for anymore because the creative's out of my hands. But I did that in 2018. So this is 2018 now, literally right after the Supreme Court struck down PASPA and made um, sports wagering basically legal in the States or up to the States to legalize. I did that, spun it into a production company where I worked with guys like Ozzy Guillen, who is famously the manager of the White Sox when they won the World Series. Spice Adams, who Jimmy and I were just talking about. Spice, you don't know him by name, probably, unless you follow him on in, in Instagram, but he's a 10-year NFL veteran, but is much more famous for making funny content on the internet. If you Google Spice Adams tree, if you don't know him by name, you'll definitely know him by meme. So I worked with him. I, you know, I work with Nick Mangold, who was a center for the New York Jets, and David Falk, who was a super agent before that even was a term, and uh, is single-handedly responsible for creating the Air Jordan brand because he was Michael Jordan's agent for a very long time. So went from there, started the production company, developed podcasts, TV shows, docu-series around prominent sports figures. You know, the highlights are the ones that I mentioned. And then somewhere along the way, I, you know, had different fits and starts with different entrepreneurial endeavors. I was in a startup incubator in 2019 called Antler. So I was in their first U.S. cohort where I was getting paid to start a new company from the ground up, which to get this plane back on course here about esports, this will all come together. When I was there... I, this is when I started looking into esports as a business. So one of the things that I looked at as a business was creating an insurance product for esports teams specifically to insure player contracts. So still something I plan on doing at some point, but that was my first foray into it explicitly. Didn't end up pursuing it in the context of the incubator because it was uh, not necessarily a venture backable business. Ended up starting a legal tech product or hacking together a legal tech product that was designed to translate legal documents into legalese, which I still think is a good idea. That didn't get funded. Somewhere along the way, this is late 2019, I was like, well, you know, I should probably figure out something to, to give myself some, some like, you know, financial runway here. And it turns out I had this very monetizable skill in being a lawyer and I passed the bar and became admitted to the bar. So I never thought of practicing. And then, you know, I had all these friends that were, that I was working with entrepreneurially that said, Hey, you're a lawyer. Can you do X, Y, and Z? And I said, sure. You know, I've always done these things for myself, but I guess I can do it. And then those became my first clients. And that was three years ago. And I bought a $9 domain name, which I feel married to at this point. Still makes me cringe. I think all the names like I give anything make me cringe. If you understand my story, you understand why I guess it's apropos or fitting. In between, um, I had different forays and different businesses, but always kept the law practice going and, and growing. Most recently, I got very, very close to buying a motorsports team in the Formula E championship last year until that fell apart in dramatic fashion like right after christmas when our billionaire fashion investor decided to pull out via email at 9 p.m the day after christmas which i thought was a pretty cowardly move i won't name his name on the air but like we, we're, i'm happy to talk about it in generalities and then in 2020 i got asked to right before covid i got asked to develop a course at nyu which was for high school students originally which was called esports business and culture and so i built that course myself and then in late 2020 they asked me to teach the business of esports, a class called the business of esports. I know this is the the podcast called the business of esports, which you'll appreciate is trademarked. Oh, okay, well, yeah, that that's between you and NYU. I didn't pick the name, so. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the two lawyers with me here. Yeah, I, I do appreciate it. I take again that that that's between you and them, not me. Um, yeah, don't 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 shoot the messenger or the professor. But so I I, I taught that class and different variations of it for the better part of two, three years. And that's really where like I that became a big part of my brand. And, you know, I think we, we've done a lot of good things with that class. You know, students of mine created basically product concepts that were responses to to big problems in esports and in conjunction with big names that you've probably heard of, like Activision Blizzard, um, Microsoft, Take-Two Interactive. I've had Strauss Zelnick, who's the CEO of Take-Two in my class. So the, like, it's a laundry list of people that have been through my class at NYU. And then I started doing a lot more writing about this, originally for Forbes for several years, covering the intersection of sports, esports, tech, law, and entrepreneurship. And now I do the same for Boardroom. And then these days, like my, my two primary buckets or hats that I wear 
right now, or of course, teaching NYU, where of course I, I teach and taught the business of esports, which I think they'll probably have to consider changing that name now. And then um, my law practice, which is which has grown precipitously, and you know I work with a lot of clients in, in sports and technology, and startups, crypto, and also gaming esports. So my clients range from people that you guys know about and even the guy that introduced us to like Jeff Donnelly and mega fans to a greenlit TV show called Pangea Cup, which is basically going to be the American Idol for independent game developers, big NFT projects that you've heard of. Like I did a lot of the IP work for Punk's Comics, which raised about $100 million. I represent the aforementioned Spice Adams, you know, just just a handful to give you a sense of like who I deal with, what I do for them, etc. So that's the spiel. I even left some things out, but you know, be careful what you wish for because I, I gave you I gave you more and then some, I think. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game Presents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Game Presents. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daniel, I love it, and I know our audience is going to love the story. I, I want to dig, like, dig a bit deeper, though, on the traditional sports stuff, because you know, a lot of your backgrounds in traditional sports, I, I, you know, it's, it's obvious just from the way you talk about it, there's real passion about traditional sports or what we call, you know, meat sports on this podcast. How much difference and similarity do you see from an education perspective and from a business perspective? Because I think you, you have both in particular have both lenses. You yourself have a degree in sports business, and then you also teach the business of esports. And you yourself have worked in traditional sports and have worked in and around esports, right? And so I'm curious, what similarities that you see? What differences do you see? It's a, it's a recurring theme on this podcast and a recurring sort of debate, which is how much should esports be borrowing from traditional sports in terms of structure, thinking, business models, et cetera. I, I would love your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are a lot of similarities and there's a lot of over, there's more and more overlap these days, uh, especially if you think about who the stakeholders are, right? So a big part of, the way I taught my course at NYU or teach my course at NYU is by comparing the two because they are very similar in a lot of ways, but of course they're, they're very different. So just as a, for instance, right, I talk about the stakeholders, 
if you think about these franchise leagues like the Overwatch League or the Call of Duty League, if you look down up and down who owns who the owners of those teams are, those are more more often than not owners of traditional sports teams, right? You think about like Robert Kraft and Ziggy Wilf and Mickey Arison, who owns the Miami Heat. I mean, the list is very long. Even the owners of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, are involved with their own esports teams, maybe not necessarily in a franchise league. So there's a lot of investment frame of reference and similarity there, especially when, when we talk about org specifically. But there's, of, of course, a lot of differences. So where, where esports would obviously like to end up is where, for example, the NFL is right now. You know, the NFL, there's 32 teams and they have massive revenue sharing as a result of how lucrative and coveted the broadcast product is. I think it's about $300 million each team makes every year in the NFL before they sell a hot dog, sell a ticket, sell a sponsorship, whatever. And that's just because the media rights just are worth more and more money. But esports isn't the same, right? And I don't need to tell you guys, I don't need to tell your audience to imagine that esports is going to have that sort of media rights revenue that tr- traditional sports has. At that, at that scale, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, if at all, just because there are too many titles, right? And the overlap between who are fans of one title and who are fans of another title is nominal, if at all, right? Like, there's a big difference between Rocket League fans and Counter-Strike fans, as if, for instance, they might not even care about uh, each other. So... There's 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 a lot of games, which makes media rights really tough. But the thing that all these audiences understand, or at least these the subsidizers of these audiences understand, is live is live is still live, and live is really important. And live is still very is very much important for esports. You know, whether streaming of actual matches or streaming of other kinds of content, right? Like it's so interesting because you know the Yankees just play baseball. Team Liquid has like eleven different teams. They'll have a CSGO team, they'll have a Dota 2 team, etc. So it's like the Yankees having a, a team in Major League Baseball and in the NFL and in the NBA and in MLS and in like 15 other games. And that's really hard. And the economics of org specifically are really difficult. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. I think sponsorship being such a like the main revenue driver is tenuous, right? Specifically for orgs, but esports is not just about orgs, right? Esports is part of a bigger ecosystem, which is the video game industry. And the video game industry is like, I'm sure you guys have said this on this podcast so many times or ad nauseum is bigger than Hollywood music and, and probably even sports combined. You know, it's nascent. It's trying to find its footing specifically from like a business model economic standpoint. You know, there are some similarities between traditional sports, but to try and use that same blueprint of traditional sports is going to be, it's going to be tough. We can get into specifics about like geography and why that doesn't matter and, 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 and the provincial nature of traditional sports. But yeah, I gave, I gave you a lot there. You can pick, pick up which any other things that I just mentioned. I mean, Daniel, I, I, I'm so tempted to go at you with sort of the greatest, I'll call them the greatest hits questions that we, we that, you know, come out on this podcast. But before I go, because I want to ask you about geography, that's an interesting one, right? Like, Franchise leagues that are city-based versus, you know, esports leagues that are not city-based at all. Like any, mostly anything. Well, League of Legends has some geography to it, but you don't have the, you know, Milwaukee, whatever, fill in the blank. I, I want to just touch on the ownership thing because you mentioned most of, especially with Activision Blizzard leagues, which is true, a lot of the owners are owners of traditional sports teams as well. What, in your mind, was the impetus? For those people to invest in esports leagues, because this is again an, a common debate we've had on the podcast, which is: is it them playing defense because you know they think you know well, what if this esports thing takes off and you know we're, it's a threat to us, so we'll invest in it, even though maybe we don't really believe in it. We'll have it sort of there just in case. Or do you feel like more of it was offensive where a lot of these owners see the future, see where attention's going, see where industries are going and and are investing for the future? Or is this purely a bubble where Bobby Kotick knew a lot of sports team owners and sold them on esports franchises? Uh, you know, not A or B sort of don't apply here. Yeah, I don't think it is like offensive or defensive. I think it's like reactive versus proactive. And, and I think we see this in a lot of different industries. It, it's not like esports and gaming is not unique to this. I don't. Did you guys go to South by Southwest this year? No, 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 it didn't make. Okay, it. so if you were at South by Southwest this year, you would you would understand that there's one very very prevalent and common theme, which is that like everyone is trying to 
shoehorn blockchain and or web three into a concept and by doing that I think it makes it a good business or a good idea that's not a south by southwest phenomenon just to be clear that's every conference i've been to no yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent i'm just saying like it was very it was very obvious there i was like to say this i don't know if you guys are comedy fans or remember robin williams stand up but robin williams used to say that cocaine was god's way of saying you have too much money um, and I think Web3 and blockchain, the money that's been thrown around in that space specifically is a for instance of like, yeah, we've like we've got too much money and the economy is overheated, specifically NFTs. But like that's an aside. So what I'm saying is it's the solution looking for a problem is the way I usually frame it. Absolutely. And to totally agree. I think esports was exactly like that because so investors didn't really understand it completely. But they, there was a good frame of reference for it, right? Like, okay, people want to watch PJ Tour golfers or, 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 you know, NFL because they want to see someone at the peak of what they're doing and do things that they can't do, and that's entertaining. And I think the same is true, of course, with like watching other people play video games and watching people play at the highest level of, of these different esports and gaming titles. So I think if you were to go to like 2015, 2016, there were a couple big inflection points, right? Like League of Legends World selling out Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center in within a very short span of time got a lot of people's attention. And, you know, funny enough, I think it's like the sons and daughters and children of all these people that have wealth were like, oh, my kids are really into this. I'm, there must be something to it. Let's invest in it. But let's like the thesis wasn't so well formed because it was so early on. For example, if you're if you're Bob Kraft and you're New England Patriots, which is you know a multi-billion dollar franchise, and someone comes to you and says, Well, you have an opportunity to get in the ground floor of the Call of Duty League and like it's an it's an esport. So like all these buzzwords check the boxes for them and there's only going to be a finite amount, which means there's scarcity. They were like, okay, we'll put twenty million dollars into a slot. We'll put whatever it's gonna take to capitalize to run the team and take losses on the chin but the whole economics of sports in general sports teams in general is that it's not a cash flow hand over fist business like even the best teams like the yankees barely scratch by and make a profit a lot of them lose money on a cash flow basis it's about the enterprise value of the organization increasing over time because of scarcity yeah. and so i think a lot of for like franchise leagues specifically they they made that bet based upon their understanding and them having traditional sports and, it, and the similarity thereof and being able to say, well, we made money on enterprise value with our own team. So I think the same will be true with esports. But th to land this plane, I don't think that that's going to end up holding true because it's, it's going to be a really long road to hoe because one, of course, as you guys know, no one owns the game of football, but somebody owns Call of Duty, right? Like that's protected by copyright. And the developer and publisher, Activision Blizzard, now Microsoft, depending on how that, that merger goes through, is, is going to have and it has an outsized role and outsized amount of influence in every aspect of the sport. Uh, so that's a problem. And then titles, as, as you guys know, some of them have had staying power for a decade, multiple decades, but there's always the next one that's that's coming around the corner. And so it's always like, oh, who do you bet on and what what's the fundamentals of this business, right? The fundamentals of esports is not media rights. It's sponsorship right now. And it, who knows if it'll ever be media rights. So you need people that are willing to basically figure out the business side and how to make money outside of the low hanging fruit, which is predominantly sponsorship. And if you're like 100 thieves and organizations like that, merch. So well, we, you know, we had Arnold from Genji. Jimmy, I don't know if that's where you were going to go. No, no, follow your train of thought. I was going to change us. So, so yeah, let's let's uh, keep going you, with this one. You know, his view was sale of digital assets like skins and things and splitting those with the team. That's what sort of gets you out of what he called like esports winter right now, right? Where sponsorship doesn't barely pays the bills and media rights isn't there yet. And so for the time being, in his mind, the best choice, and I'm putting words in his mouth and I'm paraphrasing here, but the best option was sort of selling digital goods and splitting that revenue stream with the teams themselves. I don't know if you agree with that, Dan, but I'm curious to get your thoughts there. Oh, no, I think that's actually the that that's probably the like the one under like if you guys follow Newzoo at all, I think that's the one undercounted revenue stream, right? Like that's the whole free to play business model is that there's no barrier to entry so anyone can pick it up. And then if you can upsell a finite amount of like, you know, a certain percentage of your player base to be able to buy skins and digital goods and items or loot boxes, et cetera, there's a really profitable business to the tune of billions of dollars a year, depending on what your scale is. And so 
I think a lot of digital goods, um, whether they be NFTs or tokens or what have you, tend to be pretty bunk because they don't really like they don't really get you anything, right? They don't they don't really there's no inherent value to them. We're all part of a big social experiment, you know, when it comes to digital assets about like what does it take, what do we find value in, and what does it take to make a market, and what does it take to sustain a market and prop it up. But I think for the longest time, like even before you know NFTs really came on the scene, gaming has always been the first breeding ground, testing ground where people have been willing to invest in things that aren't tangible, but they get something out of. Right. It's not an investment per se, like a financial investment with an expectation of return. It's an investment in your experience in the game. Um, and it's an investment in, in this case in the team and in the org. And I think you have a consumer base that's like way more attuned and way more familiar and comfortable with buying quote unquote digital goods and anything. So I think that's, if not the best, one of the better ways to think about monetizing esports writ large outside of like the, the traditional routes. Jimmy, uh, sorry, I don't know what direction you wanted to take. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I was waiting for you guys to wrap up. I definitely wanted to jump in here just because we have Dan for a limited amount of time and there's so much that you've done in your career and so many topics we could honestly tackle. I didn't want to omit or leave out uh, something that I found personally interesting. I mean, Dan and I connected obviously over both, you know, the three of us here, honestly, all teaching esports at various universities. Our class just started at UCI a couple of weeks ago. Dan, I'm curious the the top questions or issues that you can spot with regard to your student body, what they're asking, what they're looking for help and the advice that you typically give them, something that I could possibly share with my own class that Paul can share with his, that our listeners that are, you know, we have a lot that are working in gaming and in esports, but a lot of them are always looking also to enter into the industry. So I just wanted to shift the conversation and get a little bit of your professor type experience uh, and expertise before uh, before we run out of time. No, that's fine. Um, and I got as much time as you guys have, so that's that, that's fine because I'm I'm not eating today for for holiday reasons. I I kind of feel like in a lot of ways I kind of feel like a fraud with relative to my students because you're talking about you're talking about a generation that grew up not watching TV but grew up on Twitch and grew up on YouTube and on social media. And so these are their heroes. This is their, this is what they, you know, eat, sleep and breathe. So I feel like I learned way more from my students, just from a culture, like a cultural standpoint about like for these people to be your heroes, for this to be your main form of entertainment, et cetera. From a business standpoint, as far as like, how do, how do you get in? That's really 50% or more of my class, right? So I meet for once a week, two and a half hours a week, so it's a lot of time to fill. And hopefully this is somewhat interesting to whoever is listening to this, but no one needs to hear me talk for two and a half hours. And so what I've always made it my business of doing is, is having awesome guests, not because it, it does anything for me or I like to name check them, but because, you know, you only get so many opportunities to have effectively a warm introduction to somebody and make an impression on somebody. And I want to be able to create that for all my students. And so it's not necessarily a question that I get asked. I just know it's something that they want to figure out a way to break in. I know I can lead them so far, but I know, you know, when I bring in Strauss Zelnick or when I bring in JMR Luna from Team OG or when I bring in Fatality, Jonathan Wendell or any of these people, it's not for me, right? It's for them. And so the question I always ask every guest that I, last question I always ask every guest that I bring into my class is, What's the best way to get a hold of these days? So there's an opportunity to make a connection. Sports and esports, I think they're the same. In that like it's a very opaque industry for those that aren't on the inside. And it's like, how do you get in? There's a lot of theory that's taught in school about like, do you understand how this how this works at a very very high level? But I I really like to have structure any class with a deliverable or with an outcome being an answer to the to the show me what you've done, don't tell me what you want to do. Because like when you're at the precipice of a career it doesn't really matter. Like you talk is great, but actually show me something that you've done for my students. It's twofold, right? It's, it's being able to have them make great connections and two, being able to have a deliverable that says, I really grappled with this real world problem. And this is what I came up with. And it's something to talk about in an, in an interview or in a conversation, et cetera. So I think it's a good question for our field. It's not like specific questions as much as it's sort of actions and the way I structure things to enable them to get their foot in the door attention all wrestling aficionados wrestling with freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season this is freddie prince jr and i am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back and joining me once again is the one and only jeff die 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daniel, I mean, but that that brings me sort of to the a follow-up question, because I think this is a good sort of line of thinking here. A lot of the pushback I've heard around just esports, call it education in general, because you know, a lot of schools have popped up. Jimmy teaches. Uh, an esports business class or a few esports. And I used to, you know, I teach at St. Peter's in New Jersey. And, you know, there's a lot of these programs around esports oh, really? business. You, you, you yeah. teach at St. Peter's in New Jersey, in, in Jersey yeah. City, like the ones that made yeah. the, the run. In the, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You know, what, where people, I think, push back a little bit is this sort of a degree in and of itself, right? Like, can you major in esports business, right? Or is it really just a business degree with some esports context? And I'm curious how you look at it, right? Like, is it is it truly its own thing that people can, you know, should be able to major in and specialize in and and there's enough content there that is esports specific? Or is it really like I'm teaching you marketing and the four P's, but, you know, I'm, I'm using examples that are esports examples. Like, how do you look at esports education? In that sense, I think it's the latter. I think I think esports is is, is a very like it, it, it's first of all you know if you ask if you ask red eye like there's only one way to spell it. Not everyone knows how to spell it. One, two, it's become very buzzwordy. And three, you know we're really talking about competitive video games. And so uh, the one thing I always say is that every esport is a video game, but not every video game has an esport. And so what you're learning is effectively the business of gaming. And if you zoom out more you're learning about the business of entertainment. And if you look at the statistics, it's the most popular form of entertainment in the world. That is what I would consider, you know, what it is that you're actually learning. I think actually the branding does a disservice because it becomes like a very sneery law line for politicians, especially when you talk about student debt, right? Like I think, you know, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics. But Amy Klobuchar, who's the senator from Minnesota, said in like the Democratic presidential debates about what's wrong with our um, education systems, people are taking out a ton of debt to major in sports marketing. Okay, fine, whatever. Like, I think some of the branding is, is it does, does a disservice because it's hard to convey to employers or the market, you know, what exactly it is that you're doing. But I think if you demystify, like I also teach sports law, right? But what am I teaching in sports law? I'm teaching contracts and I'm teaching torts and I'm teaching corporations and all those things. It's just the subject matter happens to be sports. I think the same is true for esports or, you know, whether it's 
a class you're taking or a degree you're learning about an industry, but you're also learning about fundamentals of business. And I think that's something we don't do as an industry very well. We don't do very well as an industry in terms of branding so that like people, whether that be parents, students, and specifically employers understand that it's really a head fake. And the last thing I'll say about it is like another, another terrible question I get asked as a lawyer is like, when you tell someone you're a lawyer, the first question I always ask is what kind of lawyer are you? And I always go the best kind, but <laughs> in reality, right? Like there was a, there's a guy named Frank Easterbrook, who's a judge, federal judge, who was a professor at University of Chicago, who wrote this thing called The Law of the Horse, or this essay, this law review article called The Law of the Horse. It's worth a Google. Like the first two pages are interesting. The rest is very technical. But it's essentially like, there is no such thing as the law of the horse. It's an amalgamation of different areas of law. And there's no such thing as like any sports degree. It's just an amalgamation of different areas of business. But you're learning about, you're learning about an industry. You're becoming an expert in an industry while also learning the fundamentals, blocking and tackling of a business. So as long as that balance is correct, I think that's fine. I think branding is a big issue, though. I love it. I think super insightful. Um, that brings us to everyone's favorite segment, uh, what what we call Judge Jimmy's cross-examination. Daniel, you'll appreciate this. The way this works for anyone who's new to the podcast is Jimmy's going to ask a few rapid-fire questions, get to know Daniel, you as a person, as a gamer a bit more. They're easy questions. They're rapid-fire questions. Judge Jimmy, take it away. All right, Dan, we'll keep it easy on you. First one, what is your favorite video game of all time? The quick version is is Madden Default Mario Kart, and I'm looking forward to the reboot of the PGA 2K game uh, now that they got Tiger Woods involved. Cool. Oh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, any games you're playing currently? I would imagine something along the similar lines. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um like I said, this is part of why I feel like I'm I'm a fraud because by virtue of all the hats that I wear, it's hard to find time to play anything. I just learned this. I was I was today years old when I learned this. Did you guys know that when you have the no internet screen on Chrome, that dinosaur, if you click the space bar, it's a game? I did not <laughs> no. know that. I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> I didn't know that I, you guys gotta try it. It's actually super fun. So like when I'm in This is the game you're playing currently. Yeah. The no internet screen. <laughs> well, I mean, because because I've been because I've been for the holidays coming back and forth to Jersey to my parents' house, and the internet, as you guys just saw, it tends to be spotty at times. So I, I'm seeing that screen more often. And click, you click the space bar, and the dinosaur actually jumps, and you jump over stuff. So I, yeah, I mean that it, that's technically a game. So we'll we'll count it, right? It is a game, and you're a gamer. That's cool. Yeah, def definitely counts. Let's uh, let's get you one more question. Uh, this might be loaded, so I'll keep it as the last one just considering what, what you've done and, and your perspective on things that we're learning today. What is your favorite adaptation of original IP that, that transcends both gaming, film, uh, you know, wh whatever medium you choose, but, but your favorite IP that you've seen in gaming culture as well as outside of gaming culture? That's a good one. Um... Was it Jumanji? Was Jumanji actually originally a board game? You know, I, I've watched the movies, but I never played the board game. I don't know if they made the game after the movie or before. Um, yeah, sharing sharing my ignorance there. Yeah. So if I was, yeah, I would I would default into Jumanji if that if I could if I could make that an answer. I haven't watched the new Halo show. I did not watch Mortal Kombat. Lara Croft Tomb Raider I think is probably a really good example. Yeah. There's 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 probably there's probably a way better one that's coming down the pike. What I really want to do, and this is a plug, and I don't know where he stands with it, but I what I really want to do, what I've been working on, I really want to do almost like an entourage around a professional gaming character with. With Fatality being the, uh, or Jonathan Wendell, i.e. Fatality being like the main influence. Because I don't know, I'm sure you guys know a little bit about his story, but it's it's amazing. He's got all of the swag of like a traditional athlete and the record to back it up. So there's, I think there's a lot. Anyway, so I'm almost plugging myself, but that's something I wanted. That's something I want to do and I want to see. Because I don't think, one of the things I think that's missing in the market right now, I took this far afield. One of the things that I think is missing in the market is that like, I think there were TV mainstream media adaptations of let's say startup life that made it cool like i don't know if you guys remember the social network which was the facebook movie and silicon yeah. valley yeah paul loves that show <laughs> i mean that was basically my life so yeah so i haven't watched <laughs> mythic quest i love rob matt i love rob mcelhaney i think the quest is really good yeah. so if i watch mythic quest like i think i think that would probably be my answer like the best answer but i'll, I'll take rob mcelhaney and and megan gans on faith that like they do a really good job with that show but I do think that there needs to be a Silicon Valley and a social, like a social network type feature length film that 
takes gaming in a more like paints it in a more serious light. Anyway, so there's a lot of answers, but I, I really I'd, I'd like to see more. And I think if they were to, there were to be like a Silicon Valley for gaming and a social network for gaming, then those would be my answers. Nice. Paul, Paul, just so you know, because I know you're also a Community fan like I am, Danny Pudi, who plays Abed on Community, is a main character on Mythic Quest as well on Apple TV+. Plus. So for any Community fans that are listening, you guys know I share it. I'm super excited for the movie that they put back in development, but just a little fun anecdote there. Uh, well, well, that wraps up Judge Jimmy's cross-examination. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Giving you back to Paul. Dan, for those who, who want to follow what you're doing, uh, or reach out to you or find you? How do you like to be followed or found? I don't like to be followed quite literally, but if you guys if you guys want to check me, I mean, like I'm all over the place. So I'm at Dan Marcus Tweets on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you, go, if you look for uh, Daniel Marcus and Hustle Law, you can read what I write at boardroom.tv. So that's Kevin Durant's media platform where I do cover some esports stuff. You know, if you're a younger person or if you're a parent thinking about a career in this space, just Google Daniel Marcus NYU and you'll you'll find a lot of the stuff that I've done in academia. So that's me. Those are my shameless plugs. Um, and you can always email me at Dan, D-A-N, at Hustle, H-U-S-T-L-E, Law, L-A-W, Group, G-R-O-U-P dot com. Um, not everyone puts their email out there. I don't know why not. It just seems like a smart thing to do. Yeah, you're right. I think everyone has considered it like too old fashioned now, but I agree. It's the easiest way. Dan, uh, look, we could have done six more episodes with you. There's just so much to talk about. I really appreciate having you on the show. I know our audience is going to love this. Jimmy, thank you as always. Just a couple of reminders for our listeners. Make sure to follow Business of Esports everywhere. Uh, you can get all kinds of content on all platforms, on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube on Spotify, like we put different content on every single platform, on LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, so make sure to follow Business of Esports, Busy Sports everywhere. And uh, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and the live show. We do every Wednesday evening, or every Wednesday afternoon, I should say, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's evening for me, but it's 2.30 p.m. Eastern time every single Wednesday. We do a live show. We cover all the news from the week. It's a lot of fun. It's a bigger cast. And you get to participate live and disagree with me or disagree with Jimmy or agree with us and get in our faces. So we encourage you to get to come out every Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on all the platforms we stream on. So you can find us pretty much everywhere. And uh, don't forget, guys, the most important thing, the future is fun. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at bizesports. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.